Hello again, everyone. And yes, you've guessed it. We are back. It's Pull the Pin, your favourite podcast that we haven't recorded for, I think it's 12 months now, because I've been very selfishly having building work done at my house, which as with most builders, it was supposed to be three months and now it's turned into 12. So anyway, I've had a year off, but we're back now. Business brand and banter. And today we are pulling the pin on podcasts. Now, what can I say about today's guest? He's more Scottish than William Wallace, <laughs> even though his surname would suggest otherwise. Because he was born in Scotland, he was brought up mostly on battered Mars bars and probably didn't see a vegetable till his late teens. <laughs> but he's got one of the top podcasts in the UK. He's a great friend of mine. It's only one of the top podcasts because I've been on it. But it's only James English. Yes, my brother. And, and I do it to you now. Boom, you're on. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> oh, James, good to have you. Look, thanks for coming down. So do you want to introduce yourself? Because mine was terrible. Yes, of course. I wouldn't say it was one of the biggest in the UK. I'd say it was one of the biggest in the world, if I'm honest, Alan. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. God, sorry. I've, I've undercooked that one then. <laughs> yeah, no. Listen, thanks for having me on. It's I do podcasts, documentaries, usual suspects, um, but... Yeah, I love it. I'm good at it. And, and, do, and do you know, I reached out to you as well because I, I'm a, I'm a bit, I've been a fan of uh, Anything Goes since I was on it. And that's just before. And I don't know if you remember, you reached out to me. It'll be a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And you reached out to me on Instagram. I thought, who's this guy? I've never heard of, <laughs> never heard of this guy. And you, and you sent me some links and stuff and, and some of the crime stuff that you'd done. And I thought, this guy's like an absolute raving nutcase. And I listened, <laughs> and I listened to a couple of the links and it was sponsored by like Dave's Butchers or something <laughs> or whatever. And there was just something about you. And you know, I, I get asked to do a lot of podcasts and most of just don't get around to do, but I actually did yours. And fair play, you came down from Scotland um, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. And actually the amount of uh, positive comments I've had about that particular podcast, I think I've had two now. Um, <laughs> but I, and, and I've listened to, to Anything Goes ever since. And I think what's fascinating about you is you've got this, you, you drag these amazing stories out of people um, but actually I really wanted to find out a bit about your story as well. Cause I know there's stuff about you that people probably don't know. And I thought, and I'd never seen you or heard you on a podcast before. I don't know if there's a reason for that. Cause obviously you get asked to do this a lot. Yeah. Every day I'm asked to go on podcast, but I've got a book coming out end of the year or next year. So I was going yeah, to kind of keep it. Yeah. Plug it's not that. out yet, but it's just, uh, <laughs> we're just going to keep it all for that. And I don't know, my job is to interview people. So it's obviously, it feels weird doing sitting at the other end. I know. We're going to turn this yeah. now. I'll, be, I'll just start off. Have you slept with twenty thousand women before we start? It's amateur numbers. <laughs> amateurs, yeah, just amateur. Yeah, th that will make sense possibly later on uh, in the podcast. Um, but no, uh, how did you get to where you've got? Because again, like you said, you've got one of the biggest podcasts in the world. You've got this amazing gift for it. You get these. I mean, you just said to me off camera, I could probably get to interview anyone in the world. Um, how did you get here? You know, where did it... I don't want to say what you say, which is obviously take you right back, back to the, to the start. start. But go on there. I'll tell you what, then. Let's go, <laughs> let's go back to the start. That was a terrible Scottish accent. Yeah. Uh, Glasgow, mate, grew up. Rough environment, a place called Postle Park. One of the most deprived areas in the UK. Mum and dad, done what they could, worked hard. A lot of my friends' mums and dads were alcoholics or heroin addicts. Like my mum and dad were always sane. Even Is that straight. just standard for Scotland? Yeah, yeah a lot about Scotland, yeah. so you blended in. It was a deprived, very deprived, and Glasgow's a tough city. Yeah, like, I grew up with drink, drugs, and violence. That was the norm. But uh, went to school, played football, had a gift for it. Played professional for Hibernian. I was just a gift to the gab, though, and I was a cheeky chap, as you can tell. And I just I always got away with a little bit extra. But I got started getting in trouble from a very young age, in fact. And how old was this? Eight, seven, eight. Like we, we, it was just a tough environment and breaking into things and there was stolen cars. We used to jump in. We never drove them, but we used to just... You were stealing cars at no, eight I wasn't years stealing old. them. Other people were stealing <laughs> them and just just kind of getting in. I used to go to prisons and visit my uncles and stuff. Like we grew up tough, but the football, football was my getaway. I was so good at it and I had playing for Scotland school boys, Hibernian, but my dad was a bouncer in a nightclub, very popular nightclub, and I used to walk down there Jack the lad, tell every, all the girls I played for the first team. I was only playing under 16s, under 18s. Started getting involved in drink and then drugs creeped in and football career, career just declined. Started getting in more trouble. A gambling addict, gambling addiction was starting to really pop off then, which I didn't really un understand. 
So I started doing a lot of bad things to feed the habit, to then feed the addictions, I guess. And my life just spiraled for many, many years. And then, and, and then how old were you when it was probably obvious that, I mean, again, I, I guess you obviously stopped playing football because of the reasons you've just said. Yeah. What age were well, you mentioned earlier about you thought about joining the army, but you couldn't join the army. But at what age, how old were you when you suddenly thought, look, this is, I'm on a bad path here. You know, there's something, something's got, got to change. I always knew what I was doing was wrong. My gut feeling or soul, whatever it was, I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I used to sit at parties full of coke and drink. And I used to look around and think, look at the state of these people. I was just one of them. Mm. I was looking in a mirror. But I just, because I was always the loudest man, but that was a weakness. The laughing man or the, the joker was, that was a defence mechanism to portray that I was fine. Uh, losing br uh, friends and family members to murder and suicide, overdose. I just thought, this, this can't be the life. But as time goes on, and I say that's quite frequently, but show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I just, people just accepted that environment. I didn't want to be the man sitting in the bar stool for 40, 50 years saying I could have been somebody, I could have been a contender. So I always knew what I was doing was wrong. I just never had the courage to make the changes. I was too scared because it's such a lonely journey change. And when you grew up, in such a tough environment, if you tell people plans and visions, you're just laughed at or you're spoke down at. Like people don't see a dream when you're. It's not that they're bad people, but when you're surrounded by shit your whole life, not necessarily that people are shit, but the environment was, and it's the way they've been conditioned to think that was the norm. I just always believed there's something more. I just didn't know how to get there. Thirty years, like my dad passed away when I was tw when I think it was twenty two or twenty three. He got diagnosed with leukemia. I mean, he went. I just had the kind of the fuck it button. Like, I don't care what I was doing then. Like, the, the drugs got out of hand, the gambling got out of hand, the drinking, the womanising, went to prison as well. What did you go to prison for? Car chase. Car chase. Crashed out the coppers, man. You yeah. crashed into yeah, it? Yeah, beat fuck out. It was after that. Guy caught muscles. He was in a CID. Fucking beat me, man. He was massive. I only had one shoe. My shoe came off as well, fucker. I caught his. <laughs> I thought I was hiding. and uh, I don't know. This man can... It just, it was fast. It sounds like a film. Um, yeah. The, the, not, yeah, let alone a book. Um, I think when you get these toxic environments as well, like you said, it sort of becomes normal. But I mean, at least, thank God for you, you actually, you could see that this wasn't right and wasn't for you. But like you said, you know, how do you get out? Mm -hmm. So how do you say, okay, you're in prison. You're sort of, was that rock bottom at that point? Not really, man, because that, then you kind of earn your stripes. It was like a cool thing. Going to Berlin and Glasgow and <clears throat> I was scared going in the bus. How I was laughing in, and joking. How long did you do in prison? Six months. Okay. But Berlin's tough. So I'm thinking, I'm a good looking guy. I'm thinking, I'm going to get shagged in here. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, obviously, I don't know, but I, I don't did know. Did you? Would you rather not say? <laughs> I did survive it quite yeah. easily. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No comment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, Just put it, you didn't want to leave but that way. <laughs> so you end up, I was I had the jail many times as a kid. Like, <clears throat> 14, I got caught with a knife, tried to do a robbery. But Hibs kind of saved me. Social workers were coming out the house. So, the policemen were always back and forth at the house. They were always coming through my mum's door and I was always doing dodgy stuff to survive because I thought that was a cool way to try and fit in as well. But when you're going through it, like prison and that, like I, you're scared. I don't care what anybody says. And I was looking around and I thought, look at the fucking state of these people wanting drugs and just arguing and fighting. That was a wake-up call as well. Like, I'm better than this. And then in there, when you're from a rough area, you kind of know a lot of people... The first day I was there, there was a, a, a boy called Draggy. He was always in and out of prison, but he was getting released the next day, so he got me on the pass. So I was on the pass straight away, which your cell door was open, you can walk about and stuff. So it was easy. It was only a few months, but it was easier. And then that's a scary thing, because then you don't really mind if you got to jail as well, because you know how fucking easy it is, training every day, exercise, yeah. meeting other dodgy people. But thankfully, I've never been back, touch wood. And Did you decide that there and then? Because lots of people say, I'm never coming back here. And as you said, there are people who just, that's it, they're career criminals and they spend more of their life inside than out. And you've obviously met loads of these people, but did you make a decision not to go back? Yeah, of course. Nobody wants to be there. Like, for people who wants to be there, they're kind of deluded. But when you're a kid and you grow up in that environment, when you speak to people who were in prison, you thought it was cool. You thought they were tough men. But obviously I interviewed them now when you, I've been in prison. You realise it's a weak place to be. It's a low vibrational place. Like, there's, never anything, there's never any growth in there unless you really want it. So for me, a lot of people... I was in prison with back then are either dead or they're still in prison like, it's not life I came out my dad was diagnosed with leukemia he passed away uh, two girls pregnant at the same time 
As you do. As you do. I'm not mean that. Yeah, because you have children mm. when you were, uh, had you got kids by the time you were in prison? No, so when I came out. Okay. My dad was dying, my uncle got murdered, my best pal hung himself. So I was at that stage, I thought, fuck this, man. Like, I had a kind of, I was in self-destruct mode. I f- there was nothing to live for, even though I had two beautiful kids. Like, I still couldn't enjoy it because my head was fried. I was taking coke nearly every day. The weed was every day. Valium kicked in. The gambling. And you look at yourself deteriorate and your eyes start to become darker. And I just thought, fuck it. Like, I was at a stage where it's kill or be kill kind of mentality where I, was, I wasn't caring. Like you just lose all respect for yourself, the love, you don't care, you treat women like shit, you, you do bad things to feed habits, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you borrow, like so much, everything is negative in my life, like everything, police all the time, question for things, that like it just becomes dark, then your mum's worried, she's lost her brother to murder, she's lost her husband, and she's potentially losing her son, who had the potential to be something great at football, so when you go through all that for so many years, like you become a lost soul, at 29 though, like I, I, I tried to make a change and I stopped everything for four months. Started going to a couple of meetings, GA meetings, NA meetings. What was the trigger for that? So how did you, you just got to a point where you just thought enough's enough and you're either going to end up dead? Yeah. Or you've, you've got to make a change. Was there anything specific nah, you can think just of? That- because I always knew there was more. I just didn't know what. I always knew I had something special. I just never had a clue what. I always had a gift at something. But I just couldn't fucking figure it out. I couldn't be brave enough because you're weak you're weak if you're running gangs you're weak if you sell drugs you're weak if you do bad things because every interview I've ever done with a gangster you'll tend to see everyone has been bullied or abused when they're younger like holding a gun or a knife for me becomes a defence mechanism it's because they're so broken and weak Mm -hmm. they don't want to feel pain anymore so they think by not trying to feel pain they'll try and throw fear into other people not to hurt them but in reality they're only hurting themselves because they end up spending life in prison and just speaking to seeing uncles passing away, or uncles in prison, or friends in prison, and going up and visiting, I just thought there's, there's more here. This this could be my life. But in Glasgow, there's not much opportunity. There's not much opportunity in Scotland. To be fair, that it's a tough environment. It's a tough place, especially Glasgow. So 29, I stopped for four months. Stopped everything. Started feeling fresh. Became a bit of a a father because I used to get my kids, but I was never a dad. I used to pass them on to my mama. My sister get a photo, post it on Facebook, portray that it was a great dad, but it was never you're never really grown a bond because you're a waster. If you can't be man enough to change your life or take care of your kids, that that's your your pride and joy. Should, well, it should be, but when you're in a dark place, you can't see that because you don't give a fuck about anything else about getting your next fix for the weekend or your next bird to fuck. That that was my mentality then. So when people are sitting at parties and they're talking shit and you're thinking you've got kids girls as well think it's cool even in this day and age that two or three days they're full of drugs and drink and they think it's cool but they're sitting with the same underwear on for three days and they've got kids at home like we've we've, we've normalised drinking drugs now we've normalised destroying your, your health your life like your body's the most expensive piece of machinery on this planet but yet we fucking destroy it day in and day out like self love is I believe which is important but something I've worked on and something I still struggle with but the four months I was off it, I realised that I had something. I had a drink and thought I was strong enough, but what one drink kind of spiralled again. And then at 30, I had a big 30th birthday party, 400 people, it was massive. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and we was, I stopped everything again after that. Uh, sat in my sister's room after my 30th, three days I was out. I thought, fuck this man, Look, I'm 30, I've done nothing with my life. I've got two kids, I've no money. And uh, I wrote down what I needed to change, things I didn't like about myself, the drinking, the drugs, the gambling. Was it quite a long list? Yeah, it was fucking long, man. <laughs> like, I could bring the sheet of paper, but I need a bigger fucking car to fit it <laughs> in. Like, it was just so many different changes. and It's scary to make changes because you don't think, you don't have the belief to do it. Because when you want to change, you want other people to change with you. Uh, yeah, and, and no one else around no you probably wanted to. Did it because then they think you're fucking crazy. So when you start, I wrote it all down. And then the girl that I was with, we'd got a flat little cottage, it was away, uh, Kirky it was called, it was the outskirts of Glasgow, and the day before we were getting the flat, I never gambled for like nine months then, again, stopped, day before we got the flat, I started gambling, done the deposit, done all the money, and uh, she left, usually I was good at manipulating women as well, they'd always come back, so I was full of shit, I was a funny guy, 
pretty much a bad boy and good looking guy so it was easy to manipulate and talk shit she left so that was the first that somebody had left and never came back left a book in her bed called The Power of Now fucking changed my life man read that book it can't tell it was all about living in the present moment I realised that I kept living in the past because when I lost my dad he never got to see me spread my wings he never seen me potentially when he died I was once out police looking for me in prison he seen me at my worst so for a, as a father to see his son struggle at that that, that before he went like that still breaks my heart because yeah, everything I do now is trying hopefully somewhere somehow that he knows that I'm I'm trying and I'm better in my life so that was always in my mind that I'd let him down because when he died I remember I was up the stair and I remember coming down when he passed away and I remember whispering in his ear just saying sorry just felt like a complete fucking failure did he try and change you so what was your relationship like with your dad strong married okay. to my mum for 36 years they were married from 18 they trained they exercised they done what they could everything we done was dodgy we used to have our meters rigged in the house we didn't pay electricity bills that my dad stole shoplift I, I think show me how to do that I'll be yeah. able to that yeah it'd be amazing <laughs> if, yeah, if there's one thing you want to bring back to the yeah. past then yeah please just do that just once yeah. just for me yeah just yeah I but won't tell was, you uh, we done what we could we used to go to quick save steal blocks of cheese oh, and packages of Rolos mate I, if I'm honest I was still stealing up to three years ago Marks and Spencers and that's fucking things through that part of it was all conditioning and then I realised I had to make more changes so again, when you start, read The Power of Now, and that was it, man. It, it just opened my eyes to a different You just life. think that one book? One and it book, man. It just, and then I listened to the audio book, and I started getting into this mindset kind of thing. Just, And then I, I decided that enough was enough. I'm going to make changes. Two years off the drink, the drugs, the gambling. Changed my life, got fit. Got my first ever job, personal trainer, 31. First ever job. First ever job at 31. Yeah, I've done a crash course, tapped my mum. Um, my kids mum my sister they all gave us like a grand each the crash course was like three grand I says look I'm going to change my life but people had always been coming up with these ideas and I fucked everyone I'd always burnt my bridges but because I had the gift of the gab even when I was gambling I used to tap all my friends I used to fuck balls I used to do bad stuff but people wouldn't get paid because I had when they people said I want to kill that bastard but when they seen me they just smiled and they would they would try and help me out even more so I always come up with these ideas and I had, I had that uh, car wash company that was called Foaming Away like I'd fucking <laughs> mad <laughs> shit nothing ever lasted the pace because I never had I just wanted to get money to feed the gambling habit and what did you gamble on anything specific anything. get that dopamine kick as I started understanding why I gambled and I started understanding it can get passed down from DNA and all my uncles were gamblers all my, my granddad was a gambler I just had everything drink, drugs and gambling I had the, and the sex addiction I'd fucking it all you know what I mean like I never had one so I started understanding the brain and then I started watching a lot of guy called Joe Dispenza about changing the neural pathways and you can change the way you think and feel you don't have to settle in life and I started understanding the patterns I was doing it was just the same patterns and then I started to break them <clears throat> he says it takes 21 days to break a habit and 21 days to create a new one and then I started getting big into the law of attraction I started writing things down and it, all, it was all coming into my existence small things and then I realised I can fucking go for the stars here. It's amazing, isn't it? The power of personality. Yeah. Because I've said this before, personality's free. Everyone's got access to that. And again, I realised at school that personality gets you a long way. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, you know, I probably used it uh, very differently than you did, certainly in the early days. But it's incredible when you just know you've got that, that something you probably can't quite explain. Because if it wasn't for your personality, and like you said, you've got the gift of the gab, mm. A, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now anyway. But also, you'd never have had that that self belief that you had back then to just think, actually, I can I can do a bit better than this. And you're right; most people just don't have that self awareness that they they don't think actually I want more than this or I can get more than this or this isn't for me or you know there's there's more stuff I should be doing. But the fact you always had that bit of belief, mm. um, it's quite incredible, really, that that's sort of that's the thing that's run true. Yeah. Um, with you, so you're 31. You're a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. Where was this? Exercise for less. It was called. I cheated. I cheated the course. My, like I can. My communication skills are top notch. Like I'm one of the best in the game at connecting. And when we done the course, everybody was all strong. In fact, I was just. I was still a little chubby guy because I was partying. Like fuck, I was still eating. I couldn't give a fuck about um, clean eating or all the bullshit. They used to come with a Tupperware, and I'm just going to the the, the takeaway bit and getting bringing in Chinese and crisps. And uh, we cheated the test. It was a six week course. I cheated. Next, sat next to the girl and wrote everything down. Smashed that. I actually think I got one more in her, which was unbelievable. I don't know how the fuck I winged that because I says, I'm not just going to 
copy every question, but it was unlimited resets, so they're passed. Eventually, I just wanted to pass now, get the job, pass this job, six weeks. What made you do that? Of all the things you'd done, why the personal training? I kind of started running. And I started watch, start watching a bit of Wim Hof back in the day as well. You're talking seven, eight, seven years ago. That It was kind of, it wasn't really recognised then. All the motivational stuff. Yeah. Um, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, all the old hitters. Started listening to them religiously and believing in myself. Even though it's all hocus pocus to a certain degree, but you can. If the more you listen, the more you... I always had the self-belief, but I never had the courage to, to jump on it. because change. I, yeah, which is the... Because you want the push... And I realised, listen, nobody's coming to save me in this fucking life. And then I realised, just go for it yourself. Done the course, six weeks, landed my first job. And within eight weeks in that job, six to eight weeks, I was head PT. I was in charge of 20 other personal trainers. Fucking it, mad. Bearing in mind, you hadn't really got the desire for it. It was just it was, kind of a bit yeah, of a means to an end. Yeah, it was just to kind of show that I was doing something working. I hated that. I was fully booked. I had 30, 40 clients, 30, 40... Did you genuinely hate it? Because you like talking no, to people. I done my uh, the classes and that spin class. All my classes were thirty people. Were always full because people. I had. I just got a fucking good energy. Yeah. People. People were gravitating. So all these personal trainers full of steroids, talking shit. I would talk to Steve, who was sixty-five, who just stayed at home with his dog. So I built up trust with him. Two, three weeks of coming to me for PT. My personal. I was training people from eighteen to seventy-five, eighty, and I, I, everybody went for the job. The, one of the kids got caught taking steroids. Kicked out, so the PT, head PT was up for grabs. Guy's in it for 15, 20 years. I've been in it fucking two months. Went in and got an interview with Charlene Cooper, man, great girl. She gave me the job. That was the first time, though, I'd ever tasted envy and jealousy because I'd always try to help people. I don't, I, even now, I still help people. I give people my fucking last. And when I started getting the envy, because I used to try and do classes every Monday for somebody who was maybe good at spin or boxer size, I'd tell them to do a class just for the PTs to learn. But then the people started turning against me. He's this, he's that, because I was fully booked, man. I was, and then the guy, boy Greg, his name was, just talking shit. But then I had the power to sack people and hire people. Took him in the office, just fucking sacked him. I felt guilty, but I just needed to make a stand because you get one bad apple, the rest turn bad. Yeah. And uh, I lasted in there for about a year, and I loved it. I was going to LA to do motivational speaking. Really? Yeah. You see, I can see you doing that as well, because I used to be a PT, and, mm. and I, I actually realised again fairly early on, lots of people don't have a PT necessarily to get fit. That's a bit of a bit of a, an excuse to go in. Mm. A lot of the people I trained just wanted someone to make them laugh and someone to talk to. And some of these were quite wealthy people, actually were quite lonely. Mm -hmm. And going to the gym, you know, a couple of times a week was something they really look forward to. And yeah, they wanted to kind of get fit to a point, but it wasn't, wasn't the priority. Mm -hmm. Um and I used to find, again, if I could kind of make people laugh. And, you know, these were sort of, I've still kept in touch, actually, with some of my original clients, like nearly 30 years later, just very wealthy people who just wanted someone to be normal with them and just chat about normal things. Like my, my first client, I got like four Ferraris. I was I was taking the bus. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was the only person who just treated him like a normal person because he was everyone else's boss. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I learned a lot from, um, from him and sort of kept in touch. So it's interesting the impact you can have on some of these people's lives, just, you know, an hour or so a week. Yeah. So I can absolutely see you doing that because you're right. It's just that positive energy. Mm. Um, and, and I can just see people sort of looking forward to that, yeah. you know, that hour later on the day with, with James English. Yeah, it's like a therapist as well, just like a counsellor. And plus I was on that mad spiritual journey. I was rhyming off every fucking motivational quote you could. <laughs> just full of, and people were loving that. And people, yeah. And they were coming, but they weren't, they weren't I wasn't really getting results. <laughs> I think some clients yeah, are fucking pretty on me. Getting fatter yeah, and, yeah, and, but yeah. they just loved the the energy that it was bringing. Because the social thing. Yeah. And people take the gym really seriously. So I, I've trained for over thirty years, and for the last twenty five of those, I've really not cared how I look because yeah. I just enjoy training. So again, I think you're right. If you if you interested in dopamine and, and, and you know your energy levels and we were chatting earlier and saying about you know you do some of these podcasts and you're just physically drained i'm a big believer again in sort of you know sucking energy from people and, and imparting energy on people and and training's a great uh, forum for doing that but with uh you, you know with with the pts you've lasted a year mm -hmm. uh and then what then you just thought America. You can do better again. Yeah, I was America. going to go to America and do, I was going to go to university and do motivational speaking because I'd be listening to this shit for seven, eight hours a day. Like I would listen to it before bed, got up in the morning, You'd lunchtime. You'd have to have subtitles in it yeah, for America. I, yeah, I, anything, I was anything you say. My accent. <laughs> but I thought, you know what, fuck it. Because I was thinking Billy Conley smacked over America. Like, I can do it. Went to LA, 
I was staying with a girl going to book universities and that just totally wing everything I've ever done I've winged anyway <laughs> like even the podcast interviews PT and I never had a fucking clue I just I just know I'll adapt put me in any situation put me in front of anybody I'll adapt to the situation where I, do you think that comes from is that because of what you were exposed to years ago you think I mean from some of the stuff that you've said already and, and we've skirted past a lot of it in terms of um, you know the loss and that you've had in your life but do you just think now you could just almost overcome anything because of what you've experienced what you've what you've had thrown at you at such an early age it doesn't sound like anything would phase you not now but like what's the worst that could happen but fear's always been there in my life i've always been scared everything i do there's an element of fear every gangster interview is an element of fear every boxer they fight because it's fear i think it's fear that drives us to conquer it. i'm scared the heights i was at blackpool last week and i still went on everything with my eyes shut and they all take the piss out of me Open my eyes, but I just don't want to. I'm just more happy that I'm doing it and I'm conquering something. Because you as well, you're controlling your environment. Yeah. You're not letting the environment control you. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'll get you the book. A friend of mine, uh, Jeff Thompson, he um, he wrote a whole book about fear and about like, he was a he was a fighter, he was a martial artist. Yeah, I know and, Jeff, I've had them on. Oh, of course, yeah, perfect. So uh, read his book on fear. Um, it's be, it'd be sort of 20 years old now, but mm -hmm. about like the pre-fight fear, post-fight fear, and he, he talks about like pre-post-fight fear. So being scared about what will happen, mm. worrying about the fear after the fight. I mean, it, you know, it's and it's incredible the effect that fear can have on on someone. But if you can learn to make that your friend, as opposed to it just withering away, you know, at the very thought of it, it's incredibly powerful. And it sounds like you've embraced that from quite an early age. Yeah, I just never, I never realized, I never knew how to channel it though, because going to school and that I was always fighting the troubles. I hated fighting. But I was always involved in it because I always, even now what I do, I feel as if I'm, don't know if I'm trying to prove myself right or other people right. But then I, when I speak to people, they say, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. But part of me still get ego and pride. And what keeps me on is because there's a lot of people still waiting in the sidelines, waiting for you to fuck up. Oh, absolutely. And that's a horrible thing. Like, I don't like that. Like, I, I, that's a British thing, I think, now. Yeah. I think, and it, it actually, it never used to be an American thing. It's a bit more common in the US now in terms of, watching people fail but I do think for the most part in the UK I don't know where it comes from but I think again we, we talked about it but earlier people are generally a little bit um, they don't like it if they see you make a change that they would love to make themselves but they aren't they, they can't quite bring themselves to do it so it's easier to have a pop at someone than um, than, than celebrate success certainly it, I've never found it sort of too bad with me because we've gone out and um, and made money and worked hard and probably done it the right way. But you can imagine if, say, you won the lottery or something like that, um, how many people would turn on you? Mm -hmm. I think it'd you know, be, be, be quite staggering. Um, but in terms of the, the fear, would you say that in a way you secretly kind of quite like being a bit scared? Of course, man, because that's scary in itself. Yeah. So for me, it's to, to make the changes. I believe I can change the world. Everything I've said three, four years ago, Ago, I'm doing. I'm I remember, it. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing it. Like I'm, I can create. I can create my life. We can create our journey. And the law of attraction is cheesing. I think everybody's jumped on. It's not a case of visualizing and things come into your existence. You have got to bust your balls to get it. It takes three to five years to maybe master a craft, and then it's constantly keep learning. But anything can be got. Would you say that you need a fire under you all the time to kind of? Could you inherently be quite? lazy potentially yeah so do you, do you think by having that sort of bit of a fire under you whether it's fear or whatever but that's what motivates you to kind of keep pushing forward and do you feel as well that maybe you've got you know sounds like probably 10 years that you need to make up for mm -hmm. from like 20 to 30 when you suddenly realize when you you know 30 you've got to make a change do you think you'll ever sort of make up for that or is that the plan to make up for that yeah because that, that's a lot of lost time yeah. you're, you're only here but once then it's a, that's a learning curve I wouldn't be able to connect with the people I can connect with by not doing the fuck ups that I've done that's why I can connect to people at a deeper level I don't see what they've done but what I see is a soul what I see is a connection doesn't matter if you tell me you've done 50 years I couldn't give a fuck people tell me do you not get scared not really because what I see is vulnerability mm. I, I make people present their best self to me and that's where the gift comes in doesn't matter who the fuck you are you're going to connect with me I'm going to say things that you wouldn't let anybody else away with but I've got that extra something that people, they just go, ah, laugh it off. But I can do it in such a way where I'm still creating avenues to create a journey of their story. It's just, I don't know, man, it's, life's fucking weird. We're just, we don't know how to figure it out. No. We're just winging it. So you, it's not about winging it. So you get to the US, motivational mm -hmm. speaking, 
Make up as you go along. Yeah. What happened then? Started drinking. Again. <laughs> I don't know if that's self-sabotage. I don't know. Fear again. Self-sabotage. Pressure comes on. I've told people on the way to America, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then the, the same as the moving out of the girl in the house. It's like fear. Self-sabotage. What if I'm not good enough? Because I never felt as if I was good enough. I never really had the support to say you can do whatever you want. I've never had that backing. It's not that my mum and dad were bad or people around me were bad. They never seen visions. They just seen where they were as life. So when you start shooting for the stars and going, fuck it, I can crack America here and just talking shit. Then the fear kicks in, I had a bottle of wine. Bottle of wine. I don't even smoke for you know I'm I'm smoking fucking twenty fags and turns into two bottles for you know I'm trying to find coke. For you know I end up thinking, fuck it. And come back from Manny's room as well. Started drinking. And that was that for a full year, went missing. Back on the gear and booze. What and year was that? When would that have been? You're talking six years ago. Ugh. So after, yeah, so back to square one. Yeah. Okay. So Come back, stayed in the UK again. And where did you where did you stay? Back up in Scotland? Glasgow. Or? And who with family, friends? Back my mum's. I never had any money in that because I started gambling again. I mean, I haven't got kids. Obviously, you've got kids. But I can't imagine what you do seeing, you know, again, in your case, you, you suddenly come back home, you're in your 30s. Mm. She's seen all this before. She saw how it ended up. Thought you got through it. You're off to the States. You're back again. Yeah. Did she ever say, you know, what are you doing? I mean, was there anything she could have said? Nah, I wouldn't listen to anybody. You don't listen because I thought I knew everything. Even now I still think I know everything. But then you, sometimes I talk and I think, you're a fucking genius. And then other times I, I listen back and I think, nah, you're just a psychopath. You've just masked some bullshit to then fool people again. Because people always tell me how amazing I'm doing. Part of me thinks, fooled you, you cunt. You don't know nothing that's going up in here. So part of me feels like the imposter syndrome, a bit of a fraudster still, still talking shit. Do you know what I mean? So it's a constant battle that I'm good enough, I'm not good enough every fucking day. No matter how well I'm doing, no matter what I'm achieving, it's a battle. And then with your mum, she, she's just fucking, she's just, welcome back, son. Until my next venture, there's not a fucking foaming away mobile <laughs> car, valet and van, it's personal trainer, it's motivational speaker. And then a reality show came up in Glasgow called Glow, which is the first two letters and last two letters of Glasgow. And I thought, fuck it, I'm going to do that. I'm still a handsome man. Went for an addition with a suit, fucking four of you know what I'm in there. And I'm I thinking, am I going to make millions? Regular points in this, you'll sort of just point out how handsome you are. Yeah. You do look, it is an improvement with the teeth, to be fair. You've not gone the full Simon Cowell, not but yet. yeah. But it's when come. I saw I thought, That'll yeah, he's good. I'd, I'd shag you. Yeah, yeah I'd shag you, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you, you're back to square one again. Yep. What got you What got you for this the second time? I started the reality show, but that was just... All reality I've shows. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, Did it ever get no, on TV? No, it was on. Like, we try to get it on the telly, but my mindset, we'll get this on the telly. I'll make millions, I'll become famous, and my, like, my problems will be solved. I've seen celebrities and I thought, they're happy. Not realising later years when you interview them how fucked up they oh, actually God, are, yeah. man. So, done the reality show, but you're talking people who's in the jail for drugs, gun running, fighting, crashing into coppers. Like, Glasgow's fucking rough. It wasn't just your average <laughs> reality show that was fighting, it was real. And, eh, uh, try to get it on the TV but then like, the newspapers would dig up old articles of me or family members and that was hard and all that came back then up again there, so it triggers old emotions so you can never really move on and uh, I thought fuck this I'll step back but I ended up doing the show we done two seasons it never went anywhere and uh, I was a fan's favourite again I was always cream of the crop I was always if I was a football team I was always a captain I was always a leader reality show like, again like, fans favourites I thought I must have something here because you, 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 you use confidence yeah. as well, which is, but, but would you describe yourself as confident? Yeah. Again, it's just all an act. Even though it's an act, I think it's an act. Because when I'm in the house, I don't want to speak to anybody. I'll not answer my phone. If I see somebody in a supermarket that I know for 10, 20 years, I'll purposely try and avoid that cunt and go that, down then. another aisle. But if he sees me, it's, ah, how are you doing? It's good to see you. And I'm thinking, fuck off. I think that's normal. You think that, so? Yeah, I think that's normal. I, but yeah, I see I people that. talking as if they're enjoying it. Because I... I, again, like yourself, you describe, you know, you're very social and good with people, bounce yeah. off people, make people laugh and nice to be around. Um, but you can't do that all the time. So I think it's perfectly normal that there's time as we just want to be on your own and you just want to, yeah, you don't want to sort of speak to people like, you know, no one can shut me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, and, you know, probably the same with yourself, but then it is nice just every now and again just to have that bit Recharge. of silence. You know, I could... I used to drive around all over the country in a van. I'd never put the radio on. 
I just I just have sort of the the silence. I could just sit and think. I don't didn't need music or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I don't think I think that's probably more normal than you'd think that you'd sort yeah. of might well, that go makes might me feel better. Like, I mean, yeah. I was too. I just fucked up. Oh, I used to have mates come round and I'd um, they'd knock on the door and I'd hide behind the sofa. Yeah, and there was some of my best I mates. I still do that. <laughs> yes, yeah. There was a girl in my house it. last week. Came round, and she's thinking you hiding for the police again. Oh, she knows and now. Says, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I just don't answer it. But it was a guy from Amazon. <laughs> I just peeked through. But oh, then I'll go in line and just tell him, leave it at the door. I just don't <laughs> want to talk to anybody. But also as well, you talk for a living. Yeah. And, you know, that's... So because you talk for a living, the last thing you want to do when you get that bit of downtime is talk. That's fine. Yeah. It's like... Um, I went to Canada uh, the other week and uh, Jimmy Carr was on the plane and you've got people going up to him and they're sort of like, oh, go on, tell us a joke, be funny. You think, just don't, just leave him alone. You know, he just wants to sit there and watch his iPad like everyone does and just watch a film and have a sleep and, you know, go and do what he's going to do the other end. And I think that's the thing, because you're known for some for something. People should expect you to be like that mm-hmm. all the time. And that's what you hear about these celebs and stuff. Oh, yeah, he's really funny on TV. And it was someone's really miserable. Yeah, because you're probably the 50th person today that's gone up and kind of prodded him with something. So because you're talking constantly, and I know how many of these shows you do and... Uh, it just it drains you. You need some time to recharge your batteries. So yeah. don't beat yourself up for that. Yeah. But if I come round to Glasgow and you avoid me, I will know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, do, do, do you find as well if you get invited out to stuff, you don't want to go. Don't go. But actually, when you get there, you really I enjoy love it. it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Fine. But it's getting me there. Yeah. Because people fucking annoy me. They want to know about guests. Or, yeah. And I'm yeah, the, yeah. the thing about my show as well. I'm the same on camera as I'm off. So there's nothing yeah. really. That I'm not a comedian where people want jokes. People just want to know about guests. But sometimes you just. But you don't want to be a dick either. Like, I will give everybody the time of day. But the thing, yeah. Like but if I can avoid speaking through them, I will. But if you were a doctor, people would be coming up just saying, oh, can I just show you this mould? Yeah. And oh, yeah, I've been feeling this. And, and so everyone gets, or a lawyer or whatever. So whatever you do, everyone gets sick of kind of talking about that when you're mm. trying to have some downtime. I did a, I was an event a few, um, few months back and um, I was sat next to Richard Hammond and I know not to ask him about cars because a hundred times a day, someone's going to go, oh, what's your favourite car? So I just chucked chatting about flying because I know he likes flying. So I said, oh, you know, you've been flying recently and people don't go up and say that to him. So we had a nice conversation about flying helicopters. Um, but sometimes just a bit of common sense with who you're talking to, just yeah. thinking, you know, you're getting, they're getting this a lot. So yeah, don't don't beat yourself up um, for that. So your reality TV show yeah. didn't didn't go anywhere. Yeah, but what, you must have learned loads from that as well. Because well, learned- I was bang on the drinking drugs again. Okay, of course you were. Yeah, so it's just, but what I realised that I'm late. I always knew I was late anyway. People might not like us, but I don't. They'd never ever been in my company. Even when I was, I was always a life and soul of the party. I was always making shit happen. I was always just a good guy to be with. Even when I was gambling and fucked all my friends out their money, they'd still pay for me to come out because of the energy I would bring in. The Did you fun. ever pay them all back or nah, not really? No. Nah, with laughter. <laughs> I should have put a clown fit on and clown outfit on and just, just joined the circus. Make a mental note never yeah, to lend you any money. Yeah. So I'd done the reality show, it, it never went third season, because we try to get it on the telly, in my mind I thought, I'll do this. Where did it go? Did it, was it was you Just feel online. Was, okay. And uh, but because it was just crazy bastards in it, we were all nuts, everyone, all the guys who'd been in the jail, it was just nuts. It girl, sounds like it should have done really well. It fucking should have. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, just timing. And then after that it flopped, and, and I, I'd left, then fuck this man, I'm out. So the, so the, the low ratings halved again after you Yeah, left. I'm out, and then I tried to do stand-up comedy. Really? Yeah. I don't see you as a stand-up yeah, comedian. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> travelling uh, Scotland, doing gigs and that. Oh, that must be hard. Yeah, it was. But I, I soon realised that every comedian was just fucked in the head. It was such a tough job. It was such a hard job yeah, yeah. to be a different character on stage. Because that's not who they are on stage. Exactly. But, yeah. And I felt as if I was trying to make so many changes, I didn't know what to lie to myself. But I had visions. I knew where I could have took it. I knew I could have been the best if I'd stuck to it. But... I just never had that consistency. So I just back to doing mad shit again. Oh, it's not often I'm speechless. But there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's so many things I want to kind of dig into. Um, so uh, so you're back on the drink and drugs. This yeah. is probably what, six, five, six years ago. Yeah. At what point did you think, I oh, know, I'll just go and set up a podcast. Was this like the foam and away PT? Yeah. Uh, this is the next thing. Podcasts are quite popular. <laughs> and you, you obviously you've sort of specialised in things like crime, which yeah. other people just don't go near. So mm. what I love about the, your podcast is obviously called Anything Goes. Mm. And uh, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> there's, does. There's, no, there's nothing you won't yeah. go near, is I'll, there? I'll shy away from no interview. 
I'll go anywhere. But what? Where did you have? Were you listening to any of the podcasts? I was at like the time watching or? Joe Rogan and that Russell Brand, and they can't connect to the way I can connect. A lot of their stuffs up is about them as well when they talk. It's more about the news and what's happening now or whatever. And they're fucking amazing what they do. But for me, I wanted to give the guests their story without passing judgment and just understand them and. I stopped everything again, this was it. But the people I'd worked on, Gordon and Steph, who worked on a reality show with me, says, look, I'm going to start a podcast. And they thought, fuck it, let's go. They didn't even know what a podcast was, I don't think, at the start. No, I tell a lie. After that, I'd done a homeless documentary called Homeless at Christmas. Well, I slept in the streets for seven days through Christmas and we'd changed lives. <clears throat> this was in December. And after that, I don't know what else can we, like we'd fucking done amazing things with that documentary like that was a but part of me thought because I was coming sober again doing a reality show and all the headlines about me fucking um, family members and all the bad shit he's done drugs he's been in prison it kind of you think everybody's talking about you so part of me when I done the homeless documentary I didn't know if I was doing it for the greater good or because I wanted people to think I was a good guy mm-hmm. so part of me was a, was a battle there and I'm always honest with that but Probably a bit of both, but the same Yeah, bit. I spoke to a woman, Anne Rowan, who I'm an ambassador for, for Chrissy's House, which is a surf side centre. And she says, look, it doesn't matter why you done it, you fucking done it. And the man, Stuart, who was in the homeless documentary, he was gone. Crack addict, heroin addict, 20 years. He got offered help. Guy changed his life three years later, just got married, and now he's helping the homeless. Unbelievable. So after we'd done that in the December, I realised, man, like, this is, I just love trying to help people and, Change and I know I can change, but if I change now, because I've not got another recovery in me, if I'm honest, like I'm 38 now, and if I slip back again, I don't think I'll get out because it's fucking so painful. Yeah. Because when you change and then fuck it again, you lie for a few months until it takes its toll. When you start getting angry and agitated, your eyes go a different colour, people know you're on it again. I'm sick of the lies and pretending that I'm okay. So. And have you been clean the whole length of time you've had the podcast? Yeah, four years, yeah. Okay, that's incredible. And uh, I started the podcast in the March. I says I want to help people that I'm. I can. I believe I can make changes to then show other people that they can change. Because if a kid from Glasgow, unknown, to then I remember doing an interview when I just started. And he says, "What's your plan?" I says, "Listen, I'm going to be the biggest on the planet. First, I'll do the UK, and then I'll be America, and I'll be the biggest." I've, everything I've done, I've always said I was going to be the biggest, but uh, I never you, followed you know, it through. You, and again, an hour ago, I said you didn't know. You said you were going to do this to me a couple of years yeah. ago. Um, and actually, I can see you doing it, and it's really inspiring because people all talk, don't they? Yeah. Lot, you know, talks cheap. Um, and and you said to me, "Yeah, I want to make this one of the biggest podcasts in the world, and whatever." I can just like, now I can just I didn't believe you at the time because no one does, but yeah. I could just see you doing it, which yeah. is, I'm so proud of you, yeah, and especially you. with you know what you've uh, been through, and again, it's still going to go through because I guess this is always going to be part of you. Like I said, you can't ever slip back. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, and if you think you're going to slip back, call me. Yeah, I would. Um, you know, and I, I genuinely mean that. Um, but who was the, so you decided the podcast, and mm-hmm. who was the first guest? Stephen Rowan. He was a radio host, local radio host. We sat for two hours just talking pure shit. But I always believe that this interview will be, you now when you see like legends and maybe they pass away in 30, 40 years and they kill old clips, that yeah. I know I'm going to leave a legacy. I know my podcasts are changing lives and I'm only going to get better, but... When we done the first one, I always believed this is it. I felt something. This is it. The, my cameraman, Gordon and Steph, they're thinking, they're just, I think they're only getting 20 quid each as well. Gordon had all the equipment, but... I think I met Gordon. Did he come to HQ? Yeah, was yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. I and think I just, met him. And they just rolled with it. And then it just started picking up. I was getting a lot of hate as well. Because um, nobody knew what the podcast were in Scotland four years ago. Well, have they, have they discovered radio yet? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was a, another wave of hate. Because you're like you talk about people coming envious and stuff like what happens is that like, I believe now that like, my friends weren't being bad, I love my friends, I still do. But when you start shining a light and you missed opportunity, they start getting envious because it's not the fact they don't like you, it's the fact that you've made changes and they can't, yeah, because it's so fucking hard. So when you have to distance yourself from everybody you've who's got your back for 20 years, that like, that's heartbreaking. I just knew if I stood there and been there with them, I'd have been dead or in prison. So when you start flying solo and I realised it's a lonely journey as well I just started churning them out and started pushing through the pain started pushing through the clouds and it self-doubt and then here we are and do you have any points of the podcast where you just thought this isn't going to work or, or did you just always believe I always it? believed it everything I've ever done I believed every football team I believed I was the best even the stand-up comedy doing it for a few months I believed I was the best 
personal trainer, I believed I was the best, and everything I always opened doors because I gravitate to the success, but I never followed it through because there's always dark clouds, there's always misery there, there's always you've got to sacrifice a lot to be the best, and I, and I've realised that now. I have found all the pieces of the puzzle. They're not all together because the more success comes, the more pressure, the more pain, the more envy, the more jealousy. But I, I know how to block that away now and stay in my lane. And over the last four years, I've never faltered, I've never broke. I've stayed in the lane no matter because people have shots at you, people make videos about you and you think, ah, fuck this. But then I think, think of how far you've come. You, like, you don't get that sort of growth of being a fucking idiot. And then I started believing now, I'm just at that stage, I believe I'm the best in the world. I believe I'm the best interviewer in the world. And do you, and just give us an eye some of the numbers. You said like five million views a month. Yeah, on. we had over 150 million views and downloads, four years. Incredible. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll hit a billion within the next three years. Incredible. And uh, favourite guest ever? It's too hard, well, obviously yourself. Isn't it? <laughs> obviously, but too hard. Saying. It's three hundred guests. It's, it's just too hard. I believe everyone's different. Everyone's life's changing, and this is it now. From worst now. guest ever? Do you rather not say? I had this prick on from Grenade, man. It was a bit annoying. <laughs> that's, that's a bit hard. <laughs> you really talking into that? I, I, I ignored you the first yeah. three messages. You actually, uh, you, yeah. you, you were quite persistent. Yeah. I'm really glad I did it though. It was, it was a really yeah. good interview. Yeah, we'll put a link actually. We'll yeah, put a link yeah. to the interview as well. I don't well. think there's been a worst guest because everybody's took the time um, to give me their time, and I, I wouldn't be where I am without my guests. And and what? All right, what's your favourite? What the fuck moment? There must be a few. There must be stuff that's come out yeah. that's shocked even you. Because I was listening to that one the other week with that porn star. And when she said she slept with 20,000 men, I was like, and then he spat my tea out. Yeah. It's like, a lot of blokes. Yeah. Um, There's been that many. Marvin Herbert pulled his eye out. Oh, no. I, you know, I love him. I've listened. Because I think you've done more than one with him, yeah, haven't you? I think. I've done three. I've done a Christmas I, special with him as well, sat next to a. There's something about him yeah. where he's just so ridiculously engaging. Hmm. Uh, and it, and again, it's because it, I'm laughing, but it's kind of sad, isn't yeah. it? Really, it's really sad because some of these people have ended up like that. Could have easily gone off just to I don't know, invent something and just become a billionaire. You know, yeah. it's just there's just something about them. That's the path they took. And knowing you pretty well, where you you know have been and and where you are and where you're going to, it seems like sort of three different people. You know, to to a certain extent, but it just it just goes to show how you can go from you know being in prison, being that real low point in your life, um, to just kind of putting your mind to something, working out what you're good at, and sticking to it, and where you can go. And some of these people have ended up that you've you know you've, you've interviewed, um, yeah, you know, if things had worked out just slightly differently for them, slightly different upbringing or whatever, yeah. what they could have gone on to to achieve. Yeah. But yeah, the Marvin Herbert one, I've, I've particularly yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, but like three hundred people, that like legends, guys like Wim Hof, had Gaza, like so many amazing people that like, I'm sitting across from, and I'm in a crack then four years ago. I wasn't on a crack, but I was on coke and a shitey house just four years ago, and it just uh, shows you that where I'm going and oh, nothing's changed now. Really. Yeah. No. <laughs> That what can be done, and that's my job, is to show people what can be done with change. I've tried so many different things, done ayahuasca documentary as well, but now I believe everything's got to be natural. A lot of people chase things externally, ayahuasca, cambo, weed, all the other pharmaceuticals, but in life I believe there's a six-week doc, a six week, a documentary that I've done, the six-week change, we've not released it yet, but everything I've done was natural, was come off social, was Go over affirmations every morning, meditate, cold water therapy, yoga. This wasn't where you went vegan, Exercise, was it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I had to temporarily and stop vegan. talking to you yeah, at one yeah. point we became I vegan. I think you blocked me, actually. I, I did disown you at yeah. one point. I remember, I just remember sending you weird messages about chicken, mm -hmm. vaguely. I'm not yeah. sure why. Was that just pre-COVID or during COVID? Yeah, I remember going out for a walk yeah. and just sending abusive messages <laughs> about chicken. I was like, because I just couldn't believe you. Yeah. Got, like, the other stuff I can, I, can, I can live with, I can forgive mm -hmm. you for that, but going vegan, no. Yeah, that was tough. How long did you do that for? And that was just for the, the clean living, just to cut? Just to see what it was, I believe. And then I started... Did you do it again? I don't think so. I, I, I Is it the saddest chatting. point of your life? I think that was probably worse than being on drugs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the coke before I go vegan, I okay, think. Yeah, never go vegan again. <laughs> I remember messaging you yesterday, you're not still vegan, are you? When I was yeah. trying to organise lunch. Um, but yeah, now so I'm released about that. Uh, again, we won't get too much into it, but I need to watch that ayahuasca documentary because yeah. I'm fascinated by that. And, mm. I, and again, I've... I've, I've I've got like an incredibly wealthy friend of mine that sort of done that, and um, some of the stuff he said to me, so that just he's yeah. But I think you're tripping. Hard to believe. I think it's, it feels like a cult as well. You've got to. I've got to be honest with people because I don't want to force people into something that, this, that like 
the placebo effect can kick into play. People can buy into Tony Robbins, they can buy into uh, ayahuasca. So for me, it felt like a cult. I felt as if people were buying into it because they were so broken. Was this in South America as well? Yeah, Costa Rica. Yeah. This was three years ago, but this I was. It's illegal, scared. isn't it? I think. Yeah, this was only legalised place in the world, though. Five star resort. They'd agreed for me to make the documentary. They've gave me free um, accommodation. We've done the documentary, and I'm probably the only one who's still. St- I was on a good path anyway. But obviously I had sponsors and stuff who were worried that this and that's a drug, this and that. But part of me, fuck it. It's, I was using the documentaries and it's excuse to get fucked up. Or was this, were your sponsors, it's not still that kitchen place, is it? In no, Scott? no, is no. It, so is it? We had a uh, camper with, partner with campers. Okay. Camper van. Oh, ca- that's camper van. Is, it, is that still current, the camper yeah. vans? Give them a plug. Obama's give them a plug. I remember it used to be kitchens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can understand they're a bit nervous when you're sort of talking about that type of yeah. drug. Are you glad you did it? Yeah, it was an experience. I met some amazing people, but would you do it again? I don't know, man. Like, I believe you can do. It. You can get into a dark room for seven days, and the brain releases natural DMT. So I believe everything should be natural in this life. I believe everything we take externally can fuck us up. I believe we're, we're so caught up in a, a world that we're all confused. That like, go back to the roots, man. Grow your own fruit and veg, and eating healthier, and hunting for your meat or whatever. But I think we've kind of we're, we're lost with. Sugar, drink, drugs, stress of work, stressing to make money. Like we're so lost, man. And if you go back to basics, I believe you can see the world a bit differently. And I want to keep working on myself to then find some patterns that I can help change the world a bit. I tell you what, you might like uh, another friend of mine. He used to go and do a, a sort of a medically supervised fast, mm-hmm. so all completely uh, clean. But he'd go. I think it was Washington in the US. He'd, he'd go to. And he'd do like sort of, sounds bonkers, but three or four weeks without food. Yeah. You just, but completely medically supervised and you just drink water. Because you sound about all the sugar and the caffeine that, yeah. you know, you, we're putting into ourselves constantly. When your body's dealing with all that, those foreign invaders, so to speak, it's not doing all the other stuff that it really wants to do in terms of, you know, healing you and um, uh, and, and the, the, all the, the normal regular uh, Processes the body goes through, and he went. He did it for like a best part of a month, and then he, he started eating again. But his eyesight got better. There were people there who got tumors, and the the, the, the body had sort of had eaten the tumor, and they'd, they'd been cured of cancer and um, and whatever. And of course, as soon, I mean, you know, he, he he lost weight, not as much weight as you'd expect. But then when he came back and he starts of introducing food, you start introducing all the pollutants again, yeah. the caffeine, the sugar, um, and then you know his eyesight got worse, and it kind of all gets reversed. Mm-hmm. But I can understand how when you just let your body. Focus Focus on that one thing and nothing else. And again, they don't even have like TV there. You just go and read books and, yeah. and, and whatever. But because we eat that... too much. Yeah. The human body is like, you go back to Egyptian times, they talk about sun gazing, which it says the sun's a main energy source where you look directly at the sun and get your nutrients because everything grown from the earth, fruit and veg, it's the sun's energy that grows it. Mm-hmm. So if you, when we're eating apples or whatever's grown from the earth, it's the sun's energy that's making us feel good because it's the sun that's in it. So apparently, when you cut that out from Egyptian times, you'll see them looking directly at the sun. So by looking at the sun and just drinking water, apparently that aligns everything back in your body as well. But that we've been taught you go blind by looking at the sun, but that's actually a myth. Nobody goes blind okay. looking at the sun. But an hour before sunrise or sunset, to uh, when the sun's not as strongest to build up the eyesight, because people wear sunglasses too much. So when they're out in the sunlight, they think, oh, their yeah, eyes are sore. It's just, you're just fucked yourself by wearing sunglasses for so long. And I think everyone gets SAD, don't they, to a certain extent, yeah. probably more than they think. You know, I certainly do. You do, you do miss it, uh, you know, generally in the winter and whatever. Um, but with all the content you've done, all the guests you've talked about, what's the, which content are you most proud of and why? A homeless documentary. Okay. Yeah, because it changed life. It's still changing lives. And people watch it because that, that's when I realised it's a connection. I was sleeping under the bridge with these people and building a rapport. I was a friend. I never had the white teeth in that at the time because even though when I used to <laughs> end up time. putting on weight because <laughs> I, I thought I'll lose a bit of weight through Christmas I told my family and that I'm going on a fitness retreat I'm away for a week and they're thinking just another one of these fucking mad ventures and then I, I got the Santa hat and I slept in the town and built a rapport and, but the, the women in the Why didn't you tell them what you were doing out of interest? Because I didn't want that my boys doing this congratulations I, I wanted to just do, it, do it and I didn't want people worrying because I slept in the street Christmas day which was tough, but I was only doing it seven days. The first two days was tough. I thought, what the fuck am I doing? And then as I, I started to get to know people, Cass, who was transgender, um, started building a rapport and trust, and you realise we're all human. We forget. You know what I mean? We're sitting in a big house. I've got a, a nice house. I've got a nice car. Like, but 
we forget what's important, which is fucking helping people. Like, we're so caught up. Like, we're actually walking by people on the street who's lying there, hungry, cold and dying. As a human being, that should not be fucking happening. When you actually break it all down, like, we're leaving people dying on the street. There was a girl raped twice in a day. Like, it fucking broke my heart and I realised there was a man who was 25 years on the streets and people says we're not hard. Once you start to realise how lucky you are, it made us see life a bit differently. And then it made us realise I can make changes here. And I always says this for my very first podcast that I can change the world. And I'm going to find the patterns and the strategies through cold water and meditation and breathing techniques that can then help people battle whatever they're battling. Because we try to start a 12-week system and we try to get a place in Stirling. But there was so much red tape. This 12 weeks um, place was going to be uh, meditation, um, therapy there, natural foods, exercise, um, some not like schooling but they had cold water therapy and it was all everything natural because there's no point in giving a homeless man a house if they've got battles with self-confidence mm -hmm. or addictions because I had addictions I couldn't keep a house I had to stay with my mum I know people with two jobs that struggle to pay bills but if we can teach them money management skills in 12 weeks you can change the way you think and feel after a certain amount of period so if we could come up with a system everything naturally changed they're not going to change everybody but work on their trauma work on their pain and after the 12 weeks, we're going to have a job and um, a house for them. But there's so much red tape around it that they cancelled that. The thing is, you've mentioned so many problems there as well. Yeah. You've always got to take them one at a time. What's the most important one? If there's one thing you could change, what would it be? Belief. All comes down to belief. Yeah. Belief that you can change. Belief that you can see the world differently. And the will. Exactly. But the belief is where you then, once you believe that you've got the will to do it, then you're unstoppable. And that's what I've encountered over the last few years that I believe in myself which has took fucking 30 odd years I'm unstoppable even now watch this bank 3-4 years and I'll tell you right now I'll be the number one on the, in this planet like there's no backing no funding no fuck all I've done this just through grit tap my mum money to get offices to, to pay Gordon and Steph we were on 20 quid 50 quid then like, and then here we are 4 years later 150 million views and it's now the platform is built but now you're just about to see me spread my wings and just fucking change the game of interviewing and would you go back to the States again? Is that still the, yeah. the, the, the dream? I'll not go in a state this time, but I'll, I'll definitely be in America because I'll be going there with a plan of conquering America. 350 million people there. They've not seen an interview technique like this where I'll open people up and they can connect at a deeper level. And who have you got Ryan over there that you can go and talk to? We've got Mike Tyson. We've got the game, the rapper. Um, Tiger Woods is bitten aside. We've got so many, man. That, and it just I've got Chris Gardner who was... The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith played his part. Okay. Um, just so many people. I've got fucking mafia bosses. I've got all the, the usual suspects. Do you think, I think you've probably got this way of making people feel comfortable because I guess if there's, you know, the Mike Tyson's on their own mafia bosses and whatever. And, and again, we, we've touched on the fact that they probably, do they just open up more to you because everyone else does or because of yeah. what you've been through? You've just got this way of getting people to open up and just be very honest and genuine, which is obviously what it's all about for great content. It's trust you just got to give them a little element of trust and if they can trust you then they're willing to push that extra boundary for you I'm not there to challenge anybody like people say challenge well, you can't challenge Tiger Woods for being a sex addict can you <laughs> 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 just, ah, as if you're an amateur yeah, compared yeah, to yeah. him but it's just to let people I don't judge people no matter if it's the murderer the drug lord the politician the porn star I'm just sitting there letting them guide their story and telling them their story because everybody's been raised differently you're raised differently, I'm raised differently, the girl who's fucking shagged 20,000 men, is all raised differently, we've all had different upbringings, different levels of trauma, my job is to show them for who they are and why they are who they become, which is, that's why I believe I'm the best. I can imagine if you get some of the, uh, some of the mafia bosses opening up, that probably, <laughs> there yeah. might be some very uh, eager listeners amongst the FBI, one of us probably sitting The coppers will probably watch my to... stuff anyway, Yeah, it's like a fucking haven for people just, because now it's become so glorified, it's okay to speak out, it's, it's so fucked up, man. People are talking about murders and oh, shipping and drugs, and I'm thinking, my job is just to get the story for people to connect, but I'm thinking, man, you're going to end up back in the jail. Because so on that note, the the uh, you've had a few, of the, I think you've had one of the police officers, and haven't you, that works on the Madeleine McCann case yeah. and, and whatever. And I think one of my favourite podcasts that I listened to of yours um, was um, there was someone who's connected with the, with the case. Was it a, a journalist or at the time was looking yeah. into it? And... Um, and some of the stuff that sort of came out from that, again, people can listen to the episode, but um, it's riveting stuff. Mm -hmm. 
it really is, you know, some of the stuff you've been able to uh, unearth. Yeah. It's incredible, really, it hasn't come to light before. But it's a free-for-all, isn't it? It's, that, it's just the new set, sort of journalism, but you've got to take people, what they say in my show is a pinch of salt, because what they say might not be 100% either. Even mm. when I listen to them, and I've got good energy, so I know when people are full of shit as well, that they ain't pulling the wool over my eyes, even though I let them away with what they're saying, because as soon as I challenge them, their barriers will come up, I'll not get all that information. So I just dare to guide that, and then yeah. people can make their own assumptions. Just put, like, I had Tommy, at the start I had Tommy Robinson on, and I get so much shit, I had Johnny Adero on, oh, UDA man, like, so much shit. Like, that's enough to stop from people, like, I'm talking thousands of messages, fucking this, you're this, and I thought, fuck it. I found How that. do you deal with that? Because, you know, the online stuff as well, it's almost like a form of bullying, isn't it? Yeah. But has that ever got to you at all? At the start, it the did. Okay, you think, I'm it, just going to have a drink, man, because if you're under stress, it's easy to drink. Yeah. And I thought, man, just keep pushing through. Everything's going to be okay. And now people have just accepted who I interview. That's, that's not even a thing anymore. Like people, if, if Bin Laden was alive, you'd probably see me sitting in his fucking, whatever okay. he is, and interviewing him. Do you know what I mean? And people wouldn't blink an eye. People are just in, so intrigued by who I'm interviewing. And that's what I believe separates me from the rest because I've got the balls to actually meet these people. I've run into houses, there's eight, ten people sitting there, man. You're thinking, fuck me in hell. If there was one person you could interview, dead or alive, yeah. who'd be the ultimate, and you think that would be the absolute pinnacle, mm-hmm. who would it be? That's a tough one. For alive, I've got to go Scotland. I would have to say Billy Connolly. Really? Yeah. Oh, that'd be impossible to listen to on. with you two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, subtitles. <laughs> just, yeah. just be gibberish, wouldn't yeah. it, to be fair? That's, t- that's a tough question. There's just so many people out there. We talked about Michael Jackson earlier. That would be an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. I think he's done a couple of interviews, but I think he get fucked over in every one. Um, is it Michael Bashir? Bashir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's not good interview techniques, though, because then... People... You can get an interview and it becomes so, so good. Yeah, you're never going to get another one. You don't need to, Yeah. And that's where my link my trust because everybody in my phone book, I've got trust with them. So I can phone up previous guests and they can put me on to other guests if I wanted to be because I'm a good guy. But, and that's actually quite because, again, obviously we're both busy, but we've always kept in touch yeah. as well. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, we might not speak for a few months, but when we do, it's always very natural, very organic. Yeah. It's mostly about stripes, from what I remember. Sergeant <laughs> <laughs> Hogan. We just both decided uh-huh. that we, for some reason there's a really obscure war film called Stripes with Bill Murray yeah. and we both really liked it and no one else has seen it, yeah. but we quite liked it. So, yeah, we had like, we had months and months of uh, yeah. content out of that, didn't tours. we? Um, what do you think you'd be doing if it wasn't for this? What would you, would you just dread, you couldn't even say, dread to think? Yeah, it's a scary one, man, because if I never found my passion or something that I loved, you've got to have purpose in life. This is my purpose now. This is what feeds it's my kids. It's obviously what gets you out of bed in yeah, the morning, definitely. Is, and, and I'm still lazy. Like every interview, it's only planned a few days before. I'm in London next week. You want to do the... Like it's not. People diary are full for the full year. I'm, I'm down London Wednesday, Thursday. What time do you want to come? Can you make it? And because I've got hundreds of people wanting on, I can pick... Yeah. And then try and mix it up from the porn star, football player, politician, comedian. It's just so versatile. And that's what just, it kind of keeps me, keeps me alive, man. That it keeps something in me that it just keeps, because it's limitless. Where I can take it, I can be interviewing for the rest of my life. Do you know what I mean? And I believe I'm going to be that guy that if people have come out of rehab or people need to tell their story, I'll be that trusted interviewer that I'll be first on the call that they want to sit down with me because they'll get the trusted interview but they're not there to get ridiculed. I tell you what as well, and that's something that, you know, you shouldn't take lightly because that's incredibly powerful. So, yeah, yeah. certainly don't uh, don't abuse that. Um, scariest thing you've ever done? What would you think? Starting this? I've fucking done many. Um, I've done many daft things. I've done a... <sighs> the ayahuasca was scary. The homeless documentary was scary. Admitting... Probably admitting you've got a gambling addiction was scary. That was my main one. Admitting that I had a problem. It's so scary. So internally or externally? Both. So, okay. So it is like to admit you've got problems is hard <clears throat> because nobody sees it. With gambling, they had an addiction. Nobody sees what you're doing. They just see you're tense and there's something not right it's because the football score's getting fucked, but you look in your phone and people, your energy changes. So when you're hiding something from so many years, you've been gambling for such a young age, ages of four. And the thing is, again, now, because everything's through phones and it's easier than ever yeah. to do it because it's in front of you. I was going to say, and, and, you know, you've kind of had all this shit on social media, but then your business is on social media. How do you turn this on or off? Because I'm not really a fan of social media, yeah. to be honest. I think it probably causes more harm than good. Um, 
But then if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't be sort of doing what you're doing. So how do you yeah. mix up the two? I don't know. I'm addicted to my phone. This is my podcast is an obsession. This is yeah. a new addiction to be the biggest and the best, but it's more healthier. Like good things are coming from it. Obviously it destroys my mental well being at times because if I'm doing an interview and the woman's been fucking abused off doctors or raped as a kid, I've got I've got to go home with that. And think I had the undercover paedophile who was undercover for 20 years pretending to have a paedophile to catch paedophiles. He had to sit in rooms with them, pretend, enjoy the videos, watch the videos of bringing 12 year old kids in. That's fucking heavy stuff. So I've got to connect with that at a deeper level. And I don't know if that will affect me in later years because hearing about murders and hearing about fucking heavy shit like that, I'm absorbing that energy. So mm. I'm not, I don't know how to release that yet, which I will probably need to go and see a counselor, a therapist, maybe in later years to. Try and deal with it all. Does the ice therapy and stuff help with that? Yeah, I've got to do the cold water therapy. I've got to do running, do a bit of boxing. Done a, a big boxing match last year. Fought in front of a few thousand. That was scary. But doing that and having... <clears throat> I've got to keep busy. Because when I sit and all the thoughts come in from the past, I think about my dad, I think about people I've upset, I think about the years I've missed with my kids. Like I was always there with my kids, but I was never... Now I'm a dad. Now everything I do is for them. Partly you've got to do everything for yourself, but my kids are... The, is also for them, do you know what and I mean? And what do they think of you doing this? Yeah, they love it, do you know what I mean? They're proud. And then doing the boxing thing, like fighting in front of thousands, Michael Buffer called me at the boxing ring and obviously won, but it's just another challenge. I've got to keep challenging myself and keep raising the bar and showing what can be done just in a short period of time. Honestly, just incredible. I mean, we're out of time, but just so inspirational. Everything from saying, oh, you're a good looking guy, aren't you? Uh, just seeing where you've gone from, where you're going to. Honestly, I'm, I'm really proud. Um, and I, I love the friendship we've got as well, just in terms of I'm, I feel very proud of you watching you do what you're doing. Uh, and it's just, it's incredibly inspiring. Um, so look, thanks for coming on. Our pleasure. We'll put some links as well in some, yeah, of, the, yeah. some of these documentaries you've talked uh, about in the description. And uh, I can't wait to see you go over there and, uh, and, and crack America. Thank you, brother. And, uh, and talk time, to Tiger Woods about his sex addiction. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, James. Yeah, thanks, awesome. brother. God bless you. So, guys, that was incredible stuff. That was James English on Pull the Pin with me, Alan Barrett. And if you would like to see more of this stuff, then make sure you like and subscribe and there are more amazing guests on the way. Thanks for listening.